0: All right. Well, good morning. I'm glad to see you here on this sunny Sunday morning. I think it was sunny. I think I saw some out there. Uh, We are in this series called Stand Firm. We'll jump in here in just a moment. I want to start out by telling you a story about a girl named Savannah uh, Hallworth, who uh, one day, a number of years ago, she was 11 years old. She was riding her bike home from school. And uh, she was kind of off, of the, off the street, and um, she saw a group of pedestrians making their way towards her. And so uh, she wanted to be, get out of the way, so she maneuvered her way onto the road out of their way. But as she did that, she lost her balance on her bike uh, and ended up on the road in the path of an un, uh, oncoming car. And, you know, if you, if you look in our digital bulletin sermon notes, you'll see a link to the story you can read for yourself. But what happened was, you know, you see the headline for the story, and the headline literally reads that this girl was run over, that her head was run over. And so what happened was she got run over her head, and she actually survived this encounter. In fact, 24 hours after being admitted to the hospital, she went home with bruises and cuts after having her head run over by a vehicle now you know how she survived that little incident anybody want to guess she was wearing a helmet in fact I want to show you a picture of the aftermath of this helmet okay this is what it looked like uh, and then we'll have another picture of uh, Savannah herself um, holding that helmet and I mean the girl was back in school that same week if you can believe it and, and so you know, our heads, when you think about our physical heads, it's, our heads are a vulnerable and vital part of our body, right? And a helmet offers protection to the head. You, you just think about some sports that incorporate helmets, all right? I have to bring out football. NFL draft is this week, and I'm, I'm ready for it. So uh, over the last decade or so, there's been so much talk about uh, concussion protocol and all this stuff in the NFL, because of um, damage that 's done to players, um, you know all this close contact banging against each other, but even with a, even with a helmet, think about baseball wearing a batting helmet to protect the head. You think about helmets being used while you 're riding a motorcycle or maybe an ATV, uh, or think about soldiers or officers in combat wear a helmet to protect the head so helmets are used quite often but but think about it helmets are only necessary when you're in a potentially dangerous activity right any of these kind of situations where you're playing a sport or you're riding something where you could be thrown off but helmets not necessary or not needed if you're not in in action right but as followers of Jesus you know we've talked about this that when we put our faith in Christ we begin to follow God that we're we're placed into the family of God we become a son or a daughter of God but we also are placed into a spiritual battle and if we will engage in the fight in other words if we'll actually pursue Christ and seek to be faithful to Christ we will experience attack we will be under attack, and we need spiritual armor to protect us and to help us fight in this battle. And so that's what we have been doing in this series, Stand Firm. We've been in the book of Ephesians, in fact, Ephesians chapter 6. I want to ask you to turn there uh, in your Bible or on your phone. Uh, We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6. We've been reading this passage over the last number of weeks, and uh, we're wrapping up today, and next week we'll hit the last piece of armor Uh, as we talk about spiritual warfare. But in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul kind of comes to the conclusion of this letter that he's writing to these believers in Ephesus. And he writes in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse number 10, he says, "'Finally, be strong in the Lord "'and in the strength of his might. "'Put on the whole armor of God "'that you may be able to stand "'against the schemes of the devil.'" For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on and he begins to work through these pieces of armor that were to put on to protect ourselves, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And then last week we looked at verse number 16 where he says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And so Paul, as he, as he addresses the subject matter of spiritual warfare that we find ourselves in, he begins to list these pieces of armor that we're to put on to protect ourselves. He starts with the belt of truth. He moves on to the breastplate of righteousness. He talks about these gospel shoes or these gospel combat boots. And then last week we looked at the, the shield of faith that we are to take up. Now, today we're going to move into uh, the fifth piece of armor that we're to take up, and it is called the helmet of salvation, the helmet of salvation. And we're going to jump back into Ephesians chapter 6 and look at verse number 17. Really, it's just the first six words that we're going to jump into today as we look at this fifth piece of armor. Paul says, "...and take the helmet of salvation." And so today what we're going to do is we're going to consider what a helmet does, how it protects. We're going to talk about salvation, what that means, and we're going to tie this all together. And we want to see how does, how does the helmet of salvation protect us in the spiritual fight in which we find ourselves. So let me pray and then we'll, we'll jump into this. Father God, again this morning, we're, we're grateful for this opportunity that we have to be here to worship you. Uh, Lord, we, we do invite you in. Lord, we want you to, to meet with us today. We want you to speak to us, to open the eyes of our heart, to give us ears to hear. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would clear away the distractions of uh, these next few minutes and of the things that are coming up over the next week. Or the things that we've experienced over the last few days. God, I pray that you would clear away every single distraction from our minds. Help us to, to hear from you today. Would you speak to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the helmet of salvation. So what is a helmet? What does the helmet do? We already said a helmet protects the head. Or as I like to call it, your melon. Right? The helmet protects the head in ancient warfare. When you think back to Roman warfare, you know we'll, we'll show you a picture of what what a helmet might have looked like back in those days. It was it was a metal uh, covering, or sometimes it was leather a leather cap covered with metal, and it gave extra protection against clubs and swords. All right, you can literally go on Amazon and buy one of those. Okay, just for your info, I didn't know that you could do that. Amazon sells everything, all right, including headgear. So in ancient warfare, it would protect, you, you see it kind of protects uh, the top of the head. It protects the cheeks, uh, the back of the neck. It even comes with some flare, all right? So an extra added piece, if you ever need to like sweep up something, just take your helmet off and you got it built in. Are you all awake? Hello, all right? Okay, it's okay to laugh in church. Uh, I guess I've got to be funny first then, okay? all right. <laughs> So in ancient warfare, this, this helmet would protect in close quarters and fighting and, you know, in battle, you can imagine that a blow to the head could be debilitating, if not fatal. And so a soldier would wear this headgear. Well, think about spiritual warfare and the fight that we fight against the enemy, the enemy of God. A helmet protects our head, but maybe more so than that, What what is our... What does our melon contain in there? What's in there? It's our brain. It's our mind. It's our mind. And so we need a helmet to protect our minds because, and this is, this is not a newsflash to anyone in here, but our mind is a major battleground. Our mind is a major battleground. Some of y'all have had the fight of your life this week, because of thoughts all up in your head. And the scriptures speak over and over to the importance of our, our mind and how we, we face warfare in our thoughts and our minds in 2 Corinthians. And I wanna I wanna turn there. We're gonna look at a couple passages here for a minute in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4. Paul is is describing those who who haven't received the the, the gospel. Verse number three, it says, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Verse number four, he says, in their case, the God of this world, and he's speaking of Satan, he's speaking of the enemy of God, the adversary of God and our enemy. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the what? The minds. When we think of being blinded, we think of our eyes losing sight, right? But he says, here's the way the God of this world works. He blinds the minds of the unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so the way that the enemy works is through blinding us, blinding our minds so we can't see and comprehend and understand who God is and all that he has done. If you, if you go forward a few chapters into 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul, in an incredibly powerful way, talks about this war that we're waging. He says, starting in verse number three, Paul says, for though we walk in the flesh, we're we're physical beings. He says, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, uh, this war that we're fighting, it's not a fleshly, earthly, physical battle. It's a spiritual one the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of god and take every what every thought captive to the obedience or to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And so Paul says, hey, we're not fighting a physical battle in our flesh. He he talks about these arguments and opinions that are raised against the knowledge or understanding of God. He says that these are our thoughts that form and the term he uses is so strong, stronghold in our minds. There's this battle going on for our minds and for our thoughts. And the enemy sets up strongholds about what we think and what we believe. Our mind is, is a major battleground. If you go forward one more chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 3, Paul says it this way. He says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning... And what he's doing is he's going back to the garden, Genesis 3. He's talking about the serpent, again, the enemy of God who deceived Eve. He says, I'm afraid that just as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul, who was investing in these followers of Jesus, he says, the thing that I'm afraid of, is that the enemy, who is subtle and crafty and sneaky, and just like the way he deceived Eve in the garden by questioning her and making her think opposite to what God has said is true, Paul says, I'm afraid that the, the, the enemy is going to come in and he's going he's to lead you astray by your thoughts. And it's because our mind is a major, major battleground. Our our mind is the center of our thought life. It's the center of our thought life. Have you ever thought about how many thoughts go through your head in the course of a day? Have you ever thought how many thoughts? <laughs> have you ever have you ever done that? Just how many how many thoughts come and go in the course of a day? I I just read that there was a a, a research, you know, a study that was done um, last year, the results came out last year in 2020. And it was, we were given a number of the average number of thoughts that a person has in a day. How how many do you think an average person has? Just throughout? Hundreds? 3,000, millions? millions? Okay. 6,200 is the number, all right? 6,200 is the number of thoughts on average that a person has in a day. Now, if you're like me, you start thinking and you're like, how do you conduct that research? And what's an average person? So all those, all the, so I'm thinking 6,201 thoughts. Okay, they keep going, they keep going. So we think a lot. There's all kinds of thoughts that go through our, our minds. Even in the course of 30 or 40 or sometimes 50 minutes in this room of hearing preaching, your mind is going to wander and it's going to go different places. And you're going to get distracted. And you're going to talk to your neighbor like Andrew Jones. And I'm just kidding, sorry. I just had to throw that out there. Our minds are all over the place, right? Squirrel. Here's one while I'm preaching. Thoughts upon thoughts upon thoughts. And here's the reality is that our thoughts lead to our actions and our actions leads to our life or our lifestyle. It all starts in our head and it all starts with our, our thoughts. Our thoughts lead to our actions and our actions leads to our lifestyle. And so how you think determines how you live It all starts in our mind, and the enemy understands that. And so he comes hard after your mind and after your thoughts. And often the way that he comes is in the form of discouragement and doubt. He comes in so many ways, but often it's discouragement and doubt. And he causes us to linger in these thoughts and maybe not even necessarily to doubt that God exists, but to cause us to doubt that he loves us or that he is at work, that he has good plans and intentions for us, that we're worthy of being loved by others. And on and on it goes, and we get in our heads. And, and this is one of the ways that the enemy comes after us because he knows mess with our minds, mess with our lives, Right? And some of you, all of us, from time to time, we get stuck in our own heads and we hear these thoughts and we, we linger, or we, we, we stay there. And I, I think of this verse that I heard years ago, Proverbs 23, verse 7. And I want to quote it from the, the old King James version of the Bible. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I remember being in a chapel as a, a college student at Bible college and hearing a pastor come in and he said, he had to have repeated this verse like hundreds of times that it got stuck in my head. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, the way that we think, our thoughts determine the life that we, we live. A.W. Tozer, who is, who is a great old dead theologian. I love all the old dead theologians. I quote him a lot. Uh, he made the statement that I think is so, so true and so powerful. He said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that's why we constantly, over and over, why we, we talk about who God is and what he has done. We're trying to shape our thoughts based upon what God has said is true because what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And if that is true, and I believe it is, then it's no wonder that the enemy is always attacking our minds and our thoughts. And so a Helmet Protects the head and spiritual warfare. It protects our mind. Well, let, let, let's let's talk about what what Paul said here in Ephesians six. He said, "Take the helmet of salvation." So let's consider that word salvation. What is that all about? Now, salvation is a very common word in in church world. Some of you have thoughts that come right into your mind when you hear the word salvation. Let me kind of give you a loose definition. Salvation describes our condition. Of being rescued by God through the work of Jesus. So, when we talk about salvation, we're talking about being rescued or saved by God from punishment, from judgment, from separation from God, from hell. We are saved or rescued by God through the work of Jesus, who died on the cross, took our sin upon himself, allowed himself to be killed was buried and then he rose again in victory over death and hell and the grave. And salvation comes by us placing our faith in Jesus. And in so doing, we are rescued through what, what Jesus has done. So in other words, we, when we talk about salvation, we're saying that we were dead in our sins, but now we are alive in Christ We used to be blind, but now we what? We see. We used to be enslaved and shackled in our sin, but now we have been set free. We've been rescued. We've been redeemed. This is what salvation is all about. And when we speak of our salvation, we're, we're not just speaking about what God has done, as necessary and as important as that is. We also speak about our new identity, our new identity. I know I talk about this a lot, but it's so important and foundational, our new identity. So think, think about all of the different identities that you possess in life. All right. So, for example, when I think about the different identities that I have, I'm a, a son of my parents. I'm a brother, I'm one older brother. So I'm a I'm a brother. I'm a I'm a husband. I'm a a father. I'm a pastor. I'm an American, I'm a South Carolinian, right? I'm a Tate. Okay, all these different identities that I have and and you are the same way. You have all kinds of different identities in life and they're all good and they're all important, but they're all secondary to our most important identity. If you are in Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus, your primary identity that informs all of the other identities that you have is your identity as first and foremost, a son or a daughter Of God. Amen? That is your primary identity, over and above every other identity, if you are a follower of Jesus. And so, sinner, now saint, son, and daughter, now this is our new identity. When we speak about salvation, we're talking about our identity in Christ that we have received because of our salvation. So, what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to dig in, dive deep a little bit into this idea of salvation in the scriptures. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but this is important. It's going to be a little theological, but a lot practical. All right. When, when the scriptures speak to this term of salvation, often what happens in our minds is we just think to a past event. All right. We think Jesus died for me. There came a day. And maybe this is your story that, that I, I prayed to God. And I put my faith in Jesus. Maybe you walked in an aisle or maybe you came to an altar. Maybe you prayed with somebody and you, you prayed to put your faith in Jesus and you got saved. Right? When we think of salvation, typically that's what, we, what our minds go to. If you've been in church for any number of years or any length of time, salvation, that's what you think of. But there's really three kind of facets of salvation that the scriptures speak to. Past present and future so i want to take just a couple minutes to unpack this because if we're really going to understand this helmet of salvation we've got to understand what what salvation is all about and so let's talk about past all right what what we've just talked about we have been saved from the penalty of sin we have been saved from the penalty of sin so in other words our sin is an offense to God. It's like the crime that we've committed against a holy, righteous, just God. And so we owe. There, there, there is a judgment that is to come for all sin. And because we are sinners, we're going to face that judgment. But if we have put our faith in Jesus, if we have realized, I can't, I can't get rid of my sin. I can't do enough good stuff. I can't work it off. I can't come to church or give enough. If we've realized that only by what Jesus has done for us can we be rescued from our sin. And when we put our faith in Jesus, what happens when you pray that prayer, when you confess faith in Jesus, what happens is the penalty of your sin gets paid. That Jesus pays the penalty for your sin that you and I could never, ever pay. In a hundred lifetimes, we could never work off our sin debt. But because of what Jesus has done, he has paid the penalty. And so past, when we talk about salvation, we have been saved from the penalty of our sin. The biblical word is justification. We've been justified. In other words, we've been declared legally innocent or not guilty of our sin. All right, so if you've committed a crime and you come and stand before a judge and a judge says, hey, you're pardoned, you are cleared, you are free and clear of any judgment, of any jail time, the crime that you have committed, you don't have to pay the penalty of that. You've been justified. And the way that we say that in Christianity is like, just as if I'd never sinned. Past salvation means I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I don't have to pay that penalty anymore because Jesus has already paid it for me. Amen? It's a glorious truth. And when we think about salvation, rightly, our minds should go there because it's so important. But then there's, there's a, a, actually, let me, let me read a verse before I move on. Ephesians 2, verses eight and nine. We see it here. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So let me pause there. Because maybe you've never expressed faith in Christ. The way that you receive that salvation from God, that rescue, is not through anything that you do. In fact, he goes on and says, it's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. It's a gift given by grace through faith. So he says, by grace you have been saved. Past tense, right? Okay, present tense, Salvation. When we talk about present tense, this this facet of salvation, this means that we are being saved from the power of sin. We are being saved, present tense, ongoing, progressively. We are being saved from the power of sin. This is the Bible word is sanctification sanctification to be sanctified means that we're set apart from the world we're set apart from sin we're set apart to god and the truth of this salvation is that we're we're continually being continually being saved or rescued or freed up from the power of sin over us so let me give you an example I told you I came to Christ as you know, ten days shy of my seventeenth birthday as a young man didn 't grow up going to church, knew nothing about Jesus, and really from the time I was in ah, first or second grade on i mean from from a very young age i man, I talked like a sailor, I cussed like a sailor i 'm telling you I remember being on the playground in like Elementary school, just cussing up a storm. Okay, so my language, uh, I don't know how early kids start that, but it was early for me. And so when I came to Jesus as a 17-year-old young man, you know what happened? I put faith in Jesus, and like immediately, my language and my words, it was all good and all clean, right? No, (laughs) no. Man, it took me months and months, and literally it took me at least a couple years to clean up my language. I mean, I had for so long thought a certain way and spoke a certain way that I sinned against God and others in the way that I spoke. I was disobedient to Ephesians 4.29 that says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but only what is good for edifying others that it may minister grace to the hearers. Man, I didn't do any of that stuff. I talked like a sailor. And so 17 years old, Man, I, I I get saved. I come to Jesus, but man, I was still working on that, and it took a couple years of the Word of God being preached and me hearing it, and me reading it, and me being around others who influenced me. It helped having a good Christian girlfriend that didn't cuss, and I, I had to impress her. You know, what I'm saying? like it was just this process of what we call sanctification, where God is. I'm a work in progress. We are a work in progress. And what took a while for me and for all of us in different areas of our life, in every area of our life, is God, has, he's freed us up from the penalty of our sin. We don't have to pay the penalty anymore. We don't have to spend eternity separated from God anymore. But we're still in a broken body. And we're still in a broken World, where sin is everywhere, all around us and within us. Paul even says in Romans 6 and 7, man, the things that I want to do, I don't do. I find myself doing the stuff I don't want to do. I'm, I'm struggling. I wrestle. I'm fighting against the law of sin in my members. That when I want to do what is right, man, I find myself doing the very opposite because we're, we struggle with sin. But the salvation that the scriptures speak about is the reality and this truth that sometimes we forget. Maybe you forgot about it even this week as in your struggle with sin, that God is in this ongoing process of sanctifying us, that he has power over whatever sin you struggle with. You know, Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about this besetting sin or the sin that so easily clings to us. Like whatever your sin is that you struggle the most with, man, God can have power over that and his desire is to free you step by step, day by day, throughout your life, to sanctify you, to set you apart more and more from your old ways, from your sin and to God. This is what this, this present facet of salvation is all about, is that we are being saved from the power of sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 Paul says it this way, for the word of the cross, the preaching of the cross is folly. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, to those who don't follow God, that have never submitted themselves to the Lord. Man, preaching the Bible, talking about the cross, it's folly. It's foolishness. It makes no sense. But to us who are being saved, you see that present tense, to to us who are being saved, it is the what? It's the power of God. Because it is the thing that kills the power of sin in our lives. We are being saved. Now, this is a joint venture where we have to participate and cooperate with God and we have to submit to him and walk with him and allow his spirit to mortify or kill our flesh and the desires of our flesh. But make no mistake about it, God is at work saving us from the power of sin from the power of sin. So past tense salvation, we, are, we have been saved from the penalty of our sin. Present tense, we are being saved from the power of sin. We're a work in progress. But then there's this third facet of salvation. And I think this is where, where Paul ultimately is going when he's talking about this discussion of a helmet of salvation. It's future, past, present, now future. Future salvation. And I'll say it this way: We will be saved from the presence of sin. We have been saved from the penalty of sin, but we're still stuck in a world in and in a in a body of flesh where sin is all around us. But glory to God! One day we will be saved from the very presence of sin. Amen. We won't have to fight against our flesh and the sin all around us and in us. It will be fully and finally and completely eradicated when Jesus comes and makes all things new. There is a future hope of glory. There is a final consummation or completing of the salvation that Jesus came to give us. And when we talk about future salvation, we're saying that we will be There is coming a day where we will be saved from the very presence of sin. From the very presence of sin. We won't have to fight against it anymore. And this is, the the Bible term is glorification. Justification, sanctification. This is glorification. In other words, Jesus is gonna return. He's gonna complete the work of salvation we will be with Christ we will we will be perfect we will be without sin we will be in what is what the scriptures refer to as our glorified bodies how many of you all are ready for a glorified body <laughs> i am ready for a glorified body something better than this you know what i'm saying that doesn't get tired and is losing my eyesight cuz i'm in my mid 40s and i have to get a bible with larger print and more lights and I'm so ready, y'all, for this final, ultimate salvation that we will get to experience if we are in Christ. Romans chapter 13, Paul says, verse number 11 and 12, he says, besides this, you know the time. You know the times in which we're living in history. He says that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. It's time for you to wake up for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. You know what he's talking about? He's he's saying, I got saved, I put my faith in Jesus. That's the moment of salvation. But this ultimate, final, full, complete salvation, man, we are all closer to it than we've ever been. It's nearer to us now than it's ever been. This final salvation, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The, The night is far gone. The day is at hand. The closer we get to the daytime, when Jesus returns, the darker it's gonna get. And he says, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the what? Surprise, surprise. The armor of light. Because it's darker and darker and darker. But guess what? The day is coming. The light is gonna Rise. The sun is going to rise with healing in his wings. Matthew, uh, Malachi chapter 4, he says this. So there's this future salvation that is going to come. So let's, let's pull this all together in, in this next couple minutes. How does this helmet of salvation protect us? How does this helmet of salvation protect us? Well, again, I think Paul, it seems like Paul is referring to this third. Facet of salvation, this future coming glory, this future ultimate salvation that is to come. It's the future hope that we have. It's like in the midst of 2020, how many of you had hope? Like there's coming a day, hopefully where we're done with COVID and masks and all this stuff, I'm hoping that we find our way out of this. And so for some of us, the way that we got through last year, was like there is hope that there's something better on the other side of this, that we're going to get through this. This is, this is, in an ultimate sense, what, what Paul is talking about. There's this ultimate hope of deliverance that we have, this future glory that is coming. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8, Paul says it here in a different way. He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober or alert, awake, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, say those next four words with me, the hope of salvation. He says, put on for a helmet the hope of salvation, that you have a hope of this future glory that you're gonna get to experience. Put that on. It's a hope that you can have, that you can put on, that you can wear, that will protect, that will fight against the discouragement and the doubt of today if you will look towards tomorrow. And the big idea, the bottom line for this morning, for this helmet of salvation is this, to fight well now, we must always, Be mindful always of the future. To fight well now, we must be mindful, mindful always of the future, of the future. If we're going to really engage in this battle, to put on the helmet of salvation is to recognize and to think about and remember and rejoice in the fact that one day we have a hope is ahead of us, that one day, the hardships and the trials and the struggles and the temptations and all of the stuff that you face in this life will cease. They will come to an end. That one day, the war that we are fighting will come to an end. The war will be over. Christ will be the victor over all that the enemy, the enemy will be defeated. In fact, we saw this before earlier in the series that Romans 16 20 says that the enemy, his head, is going to be crushed under our feet one day when Jesus returns. We have a future hope of glory that we will be with Christ for all of eternity. That is the future hope that we have. That is the helmet of salvation that we are to put on to protect us from discouragement and disappointment and doubt. Pastor John MacArthur, he says it this way, it is this aspect of salvation that is the real strength of the believer's helmet. If we lose hope in the future promise of salvation, there can be no security In the present. Let me read that again. If we lose hope in the future promise of salvation, there can be no security in the present. The helmet of salvation is that great hope of final salvation that gives us confidence and assurance that our present struggle with Satan will not last forever and we will be victorious in the end. We know the battle is only for this life and even a long earthly life is no more than a split second compared to eternity with our Lord in heaven. We are in a race that we cannot lose. This is the future hope of glory. This is the hope of our salvation that we put on as a helmet. Because again, our mind, it's a battleground. What we believe, what we, what we think about every single day, what we meditate on, it affects our actions and it affects our life. And so to put on this helmet, it's really nothing more than getting our mind right. We've got to get our mind right. Colossians 3, Paul says this, if you then have been raised with Christ, If you've been resurrected from the dead with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your what? Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Because when we set our minds and our our thoughts, which happens all the time, every single day. Many of those 6,200 plus thoughts of our day, they, 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 they hover on things that are below, the things that are all around us, the circumstances, circumstances, the situations, the people, the difficulty all around us. And we get discouraged and we doubt and we get disappointed. And Paul says, set your minds, take your minds, Set them, place them on things above, on things ahead, the future hope of glory. Because the truth is, the reality is, if you are a follower of Jesus today, if you have put your hope in Christ, you have experienced freedom from the penalty of your sin. Praise the Lord. You don't have to pay the penalty because Jesus did that. But now you are walking through this life, hopefully experiencing this ongoing, progressively increasing power through the Holy Spirit at work in your life as you're following him him and submitting to him. Man, he's given you power over sin in your life. But then there's this glorious reality that we so often forget about. We look ahead to stuff going on that we look forward to in our lives, the next stage of our life and all these things that we look forward to. But if the most important identity that we have is our new identity in Christ, the most important thing that we can look forward to is this future hope of salvation that the best is yet to come. Amen. And so we can put on our helmet of salvation and stand firm in our faith because of that. And so I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. And I want to pray for you and with you. I want to ask you to take this time. We're going to have a time of response where you can pray to the Lord. You can speak to the Lord at any moment here. And we're going to sing to the Lord in response. But I want to call you in these next few minutes to take up and to put on the helmet of salvation. To rejoice in the past and present and future salvation that is yours in Christ and in Him alone. And so maybe this week, I mean, you've been all up in your head and the enemy's been messing with your thoughts and You've been focused on yourself, your circumstances. You've been feeling hopeless. Today is the wake-up call to remind you that you have hope. That you, if you are in Christ, you have power. You can overcome. That you have a future hope of glory that all things will be made new, that every every tear will be done away with, every every shred of and every trace of sin will be eradicated. Dominated by your goodness and grace and power. That those thoughts would captivate me. And so I want to ask you to stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And just take this as a moment of response and worship. Maybe you want to just pray where you're at. Maybe you just want to stand and listen to the Lord. Maybe you want to come forward and take a knee at it. At this altar, we're going to sing in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to rejoice in the hope of our salvation. Thank you for every person in this room and every person who's watching or listening. Lord, thank you for this salvation that you have freely provided to us. Thank you for this gift. I just want to pray over every single person in here that their thoughts, their minds, God, that you would be the one that would fill their minds their hearts and their affections with the goodness and the power and the glory of Christ. God, we want to minds